Our children, uh, third grade and under, will go with Miss Lynn out for uh, kids' worship. From the voice of babes, right? Oh. Let me just share. Uh, uh, yesterday, uh, well, actually Friday, a group of uh, I think it was 39 total from three churches went to Operation uh, Christmas Child Distribution Center, and I was telling uh, Sharon, uh, one of the leaders of the groups, I said, "So we." Uh, I drove for six hours so I could work for six hours so I could sleep for six hours so I could drive back six hours. <laughs> but I tell you, what a wonderful blessing uh, we saw uh, there. Uh, 90,000 boxes were prepared on that Friday uh, to be shipped out. And uh, uh, most of the boxes we were uh, packing were heading to Africa, I think um, in particular Tanzania. And what a joy is... Uh, I opened those boxes and uh, inspected them. It's amazing how many people cannot follow directions. It's amazing how many M&Ms I had to pull out. It's amazing how many liquid uh, soaps I had to pull out uh, and then stuff back. It was amazing how some boxes, when I opened them, I could tell that they were perfect, that they had followed directions. They had put every, they had used every inch of space in that box to put something in. And, and then there was others, it was like, uh, let me get, get away with as little as I can. Uh, and uh, uh, we had extra toys and things uh, to stuff in there, uh, books and things to stuff in there. But here was what was the greatest joy. As, it, as I handled each one of those boxes, I was able to pray for that box. I was able to pray for that box. And I remembered uh, they would stop us every uh, couple hours, and we'd stop and pray. And... Uh, I remember one time the guy said we were at 69,000 boxes. And I said, well, I did that. <laughs> it seemed like thousands of boxes. But I think uh, we had nine from uh, Poplar Springs go. And uh, uh, what a wonderful joy that was. I hope next year that uh, uh, when we offer that, uh, there will be more, more to, to, to take the opportunity to, uh, to serve in that capacity. And... Uh, Later on, I'm going to let Teresa come up here and share uh, a little bit uh, after we get through. But this morning, let's turn to the Revelation. We come now to the uh, seventh church of the seven churches that uh, Christ writes a message to, particular, specifically to. Uh, we have uh, looked at the uh, church at Ephesus, the distracted church, the church that had left its first love. We looked at Smyrna, the frontline church, the church that was uh, uh, facing the opposition and was in the battle. Uh, then we looked at Pergamum, the permissive church, the church that allowed false teaching. And Thyatira also allowing false teaching, the tolerant church. And then Sardis, the church on life support that was almost dead, if not already there. And then Philadelphia, the authentic church, the authentic church of love that Christ had no uh, common uh, or any complaint about. But then we come now to the last church, Laodicea, the irrelevant 
church. You know, we see a lot of churches uh, in the area. We can drive uh, through the countryside and see the landscape of churches dotting even out in the countryside, especially in the Bible Belt. Uh, we see church after church. We can go through a town, and almost when you get to the center of town, you can count uh, on every corner a church. Uh, look at Chipley. When you go uh, there to 90 and 77, you can see uh, several churches from that uh, viewpoint. We are covered with churches. But the question is, are they relevant? Are they touching the world in which God has placed us? Or are they just uh, edifices of, uh, uh, of grandeur, great buildings, but are irrelevant as to the cause of Christ and the kingdom? And so Jesus uh, brings this message uh, to the church at Laodicea. Let me just remind you where Laodicea is, reminding you that he is writing to seven churches. They're almost in a circle. John was on the Isle of Patmos, and it first uh, went to Ephesus and then spread to all seven of the churches. And now we come to the bottom of the circle, Laodicea, which is in uh, today the current country of Turkey. So Jesus writes and says these words to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. And just momentarily, let me remind you that the angel, uh, the word for angel is messenger. He is talking to the messenger there at the church of Laodicea, the pastor, the one that God has put there to give the word. The word's coming from Jesus uh, to John, the writer of the Revelation, and then being given to the pastor to share that word to the church. And we have that word today that God has given us that I am sharing with you uh, this very day. He says to the church at Laodicea, write the amen. The word amen means so be it. When I am preaching along, every once in a while, there is one or two of you uh, that says, Amen. What you are saying is, is that the truth that you are hearing, you agree with, and you're saying, so be it. And so what Jesus is saying is that I have shared the truth with you. I have told you the message. I am the one who is in control. And all that I say in this particular message to this particular church, but also to the seven churches as a totality, and also the whole book of the Revelation, he says, I am the Amen. I am the one who makes it be. So he says, so be it. And by the way, I don't mind y'all saying amen. It's okay. You're not going to disturb anybody when you say amen. Matter of fact, when you say amen, it kind of gets me uh, thrilled that you're listening and that you haven't fallen asleep. It tells me that you're paying attention and that you are agreeing. And so uh, I encourage you at the uh, right moments. Now, don't be, be careful. Don't say amen in the wrong spots, okay? So uh, he says, the amen, the faithful and true witness. John calls Jesus the word, the exact impression and expression of who God is. He is the one who gives a faithful witness. He is the one who gives a true testimony. He is the one that stands on the, in the court of God and gives testimony of who God is, gives the truth of who he is is he's the faithful and true witness folks the one 
person that you can count on to always give you truth is Jesus. He has never told a lie, never will tell a lie, and everything that he has said is true. Everything that he has said that will come to pass will come to pass. One, I can show you things that have already come to pass. And folks, I want to tell you the things that haven't come to pass, the only reason they haven't come to pass is because it's not time for them to come to pass. He is a faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He is the one that we see there in Genesis chapter 1 when God said, let us create man in our own image. Jesus was there. In the book of Colossians, we are told that he is the creator of all things. John tells us in chapter 1 of John, he says, There is nothing that was created that was not created by him. He is there in the beginning when time started. Jesus was there. He is the, the beginning of creation of God. He says, the one who is God, who has created all, who is the one who tells the truth, he says, listen, you say this to the church of Laodicea, I know your deeds. Now, if I have counted correctly, every one of the seven churches, Jesus has said to them, I know. I know what you're doing. I know what you're not doing. I know everything about you. We were studying in Sunday school this morning. We saw how Nathaniel came to know Jesus Christ because Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. Jesus knows everything. You can't hide anything from him. You cannot put it away where he can't see it. You can't say it in a secret voice that he can't hear it. He knows everything. And he is reminding the church at Laodicea, I know everything about you. I know what you're doing. I know what you're not doing. He says this, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now folks, don't make the mistake here of saying now what Jesus needs is people who are hot for Jesus. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying that cold is bad. Folks, I want to tell you, cold is good. When it's hot out there and it's 100 degrees and I go into the house or I come into this church and the air conditioning is blowing that cold air, that is good. Oh, yes. I want to tell you when it's hot out there and I'm thirsty and I get a cold glass. I remember the barbecue place over in, uh, it was called Page's Barbecue. It's not there anymore. I understand there's a barbecue place there now, but they used to take their mason jars and put it in the freezer. They would take it out of the freezer. It already had ice in it, and those ice cubes were, were so cold, and then they would put the ice cold tea or the cold tea in the ice glass that had been in the freezer. I want to tell you, that cold was good. That cold was good. Now, hot's good, too. I tell you what, when we had the Poplar Springers up here uh, looking at the lights, it was kind of chilly out that night. And we went up to the concession stand, and we got some hot chocolate, and some got some hot coffee, and we sat there around the hot fire. And I want to tell you, that hot was good. It was delightful. Matter of fact, we couldn't get Ken to move away from the fire. 
He would stand there until he got one side warm, and then he would turn around. It was so good, he got the backside warm. Hot was good. Jesus says, listen, I have a complaint for you. You're neither hot and you're not cold. You're neither good hot and you're not good cold. You're irrelevant because you're not doing anything. You see, this comes from the very area that surrounded them. Uh, to the north was a town called Heropolis. And there the water came bubbling up out of the ground hot. The entrepreneurs up there had created a medical society that said to sold to people, says, listen, come soak in our mineral hot water and you'll feel much better. Oh, I know how that feels. I tell you, I, my neck gets all crooked up, especially after driving the bus for several hours. I want to tell you, the best thing I can do is put hot water, hot shower on it. I want to tell you, that feels so good. I can, I'm able to pop out my neck and it feels so good. They were up there and they had taken the hot water that they had and they had turned it into something good, useful. That water then came down, that hot water. And they had built ditches, cisterns, to run that water there into Laodicea. And by the time that water got there, it wasn't hot. It wasn't hot. It was lukewarm. That water then would run on down to the city to the south, the city that we're familiar with, Colossae, where the book of Colossians was sent to by the Apostle Paul. And there, when the water got there, because it had run through the, the mountain stream and through the rocks, it had, had turned into crystal clear water and it was cool. And they were down there bottling the water, selling it. Isn't it amazing? That we can get free out of the tap. We are paying more you realize how we're paying more for water than we pay for milk per ounce? I just don't get it. I mean, I understand why milk costs what milk costs. I mean, you got to buy a cow. you got to feed the cow. you got to take time to milk the cow. you got to cool it or, or uh, do all that stuff to it and then get truck to a place, transportation, and then you got to keep it cold in the, in the uh, refrigerator at the store till somebody picks it up. I understand that. But people take water and put it in a bottle and say, here. So the people in Colossae had taken the cold water with its minerals and was selling it as a nice cold drink that was healthy for you. That was good. So what, what Jesus was saying, he says, you know, the people up here are taking the good coal or hot water and making something of it, and these people are taking the cold water and making something good of it, but you're sitting there and you're not doing either. It says, because you're neither hot nor cold, you're not doing anything, you're not relevant in the world in which I have placed you, he says, I'm ready to spew you out. I'll tell you what, the Bible is using, using a nice word there. It means to throw you up and vomit you up. 
is you're irrelevant. So he says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Oh, what an accusation to the church today. Especially in America, where we say we can, we can build buildings, we can, we can make it look beautiful, we can, we can add things to it. And it's almost like we can say, we can draw people here because of what we can do. Tell you what, when people go up and down this highway, when they see that there are people in the parking lot, when they ask us, and I wonder what's going on there at Poplar Springs Baptist Church, I don't want them to ever understand, come to understand, that what is happening here is because of what we can do, or because of what we can do with the money that we have on our own. What I want them to know is that whatever is happening here is because of God and His power. He says, you think you're rich. In other words, you don't have no need for me. I often wonder if Christ was to return. The rapture was supposed to happen and, and people were pulled out. I wonder how many churches would continue on the next Sunday as if nothing had happened. Because they're doing it on their own. They're doing it in their own power. Folks, I want everything that I do, I want everything that you do, be done in the power of Jesus. When this choir sings, I want it done in the power of Jesus. When everyone stands to sing a solo or a trio, I want it to be in the power of Jesus. Whether we're making sandwiches making spaghetti, or serving pizza on Wednesday nights. I want it done in the power of Jesus. And folks, the way it's done in the power is that we pray. That we pray. I'm so thankful for those who, who pray. I know some individual prayer warriors that have been praying for years. They haven't said it, but I know it. Because I can sense their prayers for me, for this church, for the ministry that we do as the body of Christ. He says, listen, Laodicea, you think that you're rich? He says, listen, you don't think you need anything? He says, but the reality is, is that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor and blind and naked. He says, you have so many needs... It's really embarrassing that I even have to say what your needs are. He says, you have nothing without me. You think you have everything, but you have nothing. Can I remind you that the only thing that you truly have is that which God has given you? Because I want to tell you, when I came into this world, I didn't have nothing until my mom put a diaper on me. She didn't have that diaper because God gave it to her. Folks, I didn't have any food until my mama gave me some food. And that's because God gave her the food. I didn't have anything coming in. Folks, I want to tell you, when I exit out, 
I won't take anything with me either. I won't have any fancy clothes to take with me. I won't be able to take any money with me, any gold, silver. I won't be able to take a car. I won't be able to take anything because I don't have anything. The only thing that is of value that I have is Jesus. So he says, you don't have anything. So I advise you to buy from me gold, refined by fire so that you can become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see Jesus said listen what you need to do is repent you need to change from what you're doing and doing in your own ability with what you think you have when you don't have anything and you need to become dependent on me for everything. Are you dependent on Jesus for everything? Everything? You see, most of us think that the groceries come from the grocery store. No, it comes from God comes from God. Most of us think that because we work and go buy clothes from the store that we get our own... No. If God hadn't given you intelligence, if God had not given you strength, you would not be able to work and you would not be able to receive the blessing of the paycheck so that you could buy the clothing. Folks, I want to tell you, when you go to the store and shop, you ought to say, thank you, God, for what you are giving me. There may be a question about you putting it on the credit card because I want to tell you, God doesn't work with credit. God is in the business of supplying your need and he doesn't need a credit card to do it. And so he says, listen, you need to get from me your money. You need to get from me your clothing. And you need to get from me the medicine that will heal your blindness. Now what's interesting is that in Laodicea, they had learned to take the herbs and the, the things that they had there, and they had developed an eye salve that helped what was a common blindness. We don't, uh, most people don't have this blindness anymore because they have the salve. But in the ancient world, many people were blind and could be able to be made to be able to made, to be able to see by using this ointment, this salve. Here, this church had an opportunity to be hot or cold with this salve. <laughs> they had the opportunity; they could have set up a, a medical mission there to help blind people to be able to see and tell them about Jesus. They could have put the ointment on their eyes and people would have been able to see and they would have been able to say, listen, we've been able to make you see physically today. Let me tell you about someone who can make you see spiritually. They had an opportunity. Folks, I want to tell you, churches that are irrelevant, who are not hot nor cold, aren't taking what they have available and doing something with it, are missing opportunities because, folks, I want to tell you, we have the opportunity. We have the opportunity. Look around you. There's opportunity that God wants us to use. Make it hot or cold. But don't just sit there and do nothing. 
Don't sit there and be irrelevant in the, in the kingdom of God's work. And so he says, Come to me for I said that will allow you to see, to see the opportunities that lie before you. He says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. I'm so glad he loves me. Because he loves me, he disciplines me. Have you ever been taken out to the woodshed by God? Have you ever had the belt taken off by God on your, your rear end? Has he ever taken the paddleboard out on you? Has he put you in time out? Discipline you? Tell you what, discipline is painful, is it not? That's the reason <laughs> I want to tell you something. I've got to a point in my life, I don't like to be disciplined. I was so glad that when each of my, when I have one, I'm not sure I ever got there. But I sure was glad when most of my children got to the place. They didn't want to be disciplined anymore. They wanted to be obedient. They wanted to behave. And that's where I am. I don't want to have to be disciplined. But what I want you to understand, what I, I want to remind myself this morning is that when God disciplines us, it's because He loves us. He's not doing it to punish us. He's doing it to bring us back to a place that we have a relationship with Him, to a place where we are in love with Him, to a place where we are following and serving Him under His protection. He loves us, and so He disciplines us. Folks, I want to tell you something. People can go out there and live in sin, and there is no reproof, there is no discipline. That's someone that's not under the love of God. That's not someone that's a child of God. Because God loves his children and he disciplines them. He reproves them. And so he is saying to this church, he says, if you're my children, I love you. I'm going to bring discipline in your life. I am going to bring reproof in your life. And he says, so you need to be very zealous. You need to be very active and repent. You need to turn away from what you're not doing. You need to turn away from being irrelevant. You need to turn away from not being either hot or cold and taking the opportunities that lie before you. Folks, I just want to remind you, repentance is something that is continuous in the Christian's life. Sometimes I have a, I see something and I, I have a, the wrong thought towards somebody, I have to repent. There's times that I let words slip out of my mouth that shouldn't slip out of my mouth. I should have control over, but they slip out. I have to repent. There's times I allow myself to do things that are contrary to God's will. I have to repent. And folks, I suspect if I have to repent, I suspect there are probably needs in your life that you need to repent of also. It's not because you're not perfect. It's not we're human. We're sinners. <laughs> we sin. And when we do, Jesus is saying, repent, turn from it. Because if you don't, he's going to discipline you. I just want to remind you, he knows. 
He knows. Does your mama have eyes in the back of her head? I just want to tell you, my dad did too. And his eyes weren't quite as good as mama's. I couldn't do anything without her seeing it. Folks, I want to tell you, God knows, and he's going to discipline you, but he gives you an opportunity to repent, to turn. If you don't, he's going to discipline you until you do. Oh, Folks, he knows how to turn the pressure on. He knows how to screw down the the the, the tightness on you and and bring the. He can ha he ha he knows how to bring pain in your life if he he needs to. Repent, repent. That's the easiest thing to do. Let me tell you today, the easiest thing to do is repent. All you have to do is say, God, you're right. First John one nine says, Listen, if you'll confess your sin, He will cleanse you. All you got to do is say, God, you're right, that's sin, and, and, and I'm sorry, and I'm going to turn away from it. He says, repent. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and be with me, and he with me. Now, folks, don't mess this up. This gets messed up so many times. The picture of Jesus outside knocking on the heart's door let me remind you, this is a message to the church. This is not a picture of someone that Jesus is knocking on their door and saying, let me in. What this is a picture of is that a church that is active and irrelevant and Jesus is on the outside and he is knocking on the door of the church and he's saying, hey, let me in. Oh, what a sad commentary for a church that is, is active, doing, but is irrelevant. Because why? Jesus is not in the middle. What did we see in chapter 1? In the middle of all the seven candlesticks, there was Jesus as Lord. The problem in Laodicea was Jesus was not in the middle. They put him on the outside. We have to be careful because there are times in our lives we put Jesus outside the middle. He's not the center. He's not the middle of the, att the attention. But he has a desire. He has such a desire to fellowship with us, empower us. He has such a desire for us to, to be so close together in fellowship. Do you enjoy family? I tell you, I look forward to Thanksgiving and Christmas. Why? Because not because of gifts. Folks, most of us, if we need something, we'll go buy it. I don't get things at Christmas I need. No, what I enjoy about Christmas is family being together. Because of the fellowship. The love. Yeah, sometimes there's ugly things that happen because <laughs> we're sinners. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's wonderful fellowship together. Jesus wants us to, to be united as a family and fellowship with him. He who overcomes. 
Last time, folks. I hope you got this. Who's an overcomer? For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's by faith that we are overcomers. It's because we are born of God, we are born again, that we are overcomers. Why? Because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And as a result of that, we are overcomers. And so he says, He who overcomes, he who believes in, in Jesus as being the Son of God, who has the faith and knows that he is the one, he says, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. Now that's a promise. He says, listen, when I rule and reign, you're going to be right there with me. When I sit down on my throne, there you're going to be with me. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he says, listen, you are going to sit there also. Can I tell you something? You're not going to go through anything that Jesus hasn't been through. Have you thought about what Jesus had to go through and had to overcome to be sitting there on the throne? Whatever you're going through, whatever you have to face, whatever persecution you have will never, ever come close to what Jesus went through. And yet he lets us sit there. He says in verse 22, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Don't fall asleep. Pay attention. Do you hear what he's saying? Not what I'm saying, what he is saying, what the Spirit is saying to us. If so, repent, repent. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, speak to our hearts and do your wonderful work. Father, if there's one here that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, has never repented, turn away from their sin, turn away from their own selves, and turn to Jesus being dependent upon Him as Lord in their life and called out on Him to save them because He came and died on the cross. He came and lived the perfect life. He's the one that is the sacrifice that paid for our sins. Father, I pray that they would have a moment of faith trusting Jesus, knowing that He is the Savior, that He is God's Son, and that His sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to cleanse them of all unrighteousness to take away their sin. Father, I pray that they would come. They would come this morning to know Jesus. And then, Father, I believe you have spoken to many believers some things in their life that are neither hot nor cold, of no value. Maybe they need to come and repent. Maybe, you, Father, you've spoken to them about something that they need to do that, that would be hot, something that they could do that would be cold. Someday it would be good. Father, maybe they need to come and just kneel here and say, Father, I'm willing. I'm willing. You have your way. We praise you, for it's in Jesus' name.